This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Most individuals who have been victimized by their families do not become aware of their abuse until they have reached adulthood. We experience very distinct and expected dynamics when we grow up in a home that is characterized by violence, addiction, and abuse. Denial is the most basic of these. Fear is another key dynamic. Trying to unravel a lifetime of emotional pain, fear, and dysfunction is a distressing, slow task. Healing requires examining what has happened and is happening right now at all levels, mentally, emotionally, and physically. This episode is about two sisters and survivors who found a way to come to light from a tragic cycle of intergenerational trauma and abuse. Valeria interviews Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver, the author of Healing Begins With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse, and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond. Ronnie Tishner has a PhD in sociology, specializing in family studies, from the University of Michigan, and Jenny Weaver has received her degree from the Vanderbilt School of Nursing and is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 25 years of experience in family practice and mental health. Their book, Healing Begins With Us, shares their inspiring and hopeful story of healing from their painful upbringing. Meet Ronnie and Jenny at heartandsoulsisters.net. Here's the interview with Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver. In your own words, who is Ronnie Tishner and who is Jeannie Weaver? Oh, wow. Ronnie Tishner is, I mean, I could I could name a lot of roles that I've performed in my life, but Right now, Ronnie Tishner is someone who's trying to live as authentically as she can. And I think that there are pieces of my story, my experience, that while difficult, are shared by so many others. And that by telling my story and being as authentic as I know how to be, I can be helpful to people. And that's my, that's my main, that's who I am right now. That's, what I, that's who I want to be. Yes. Yes. And I'm Jenny, Jenny Weaver. And I, I'm in a very similar place, um, with my sister in that, you know, my, my main mission in life right now is really a mission of love. And that, and that mission of love is growing in self love, but also by doing that, helping me to be more fully present as my most authentic self. Um, my best version of myself so that I can be a channel of healing for others in this world. 
um, starting, of course, with my family, my children, my grandchildren, but but really any any soul that I meet um, on my on my path, and that's really the motivation of of my life right now, and that was the huge motivating factor for sharing our story as siblings and 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 what it felt like growing up in our family of origin and the adverse childhood experiences that we that we um, survived and that's really really being fully who we are without hiding parts of of who we are parts of our shadow self or parts of our past whatever however you envision that and and i think that's a strong message of loving acceptance that we all we all need we all we all need to love all of who we are so that we can really be fully present and step step up in this world and help each other and that's, that's our motivating, I think, uh, mission right now. Yeah, it's beautiful, though. I probably said that before. <laughs> we met before a couple <laughs> of times. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So, Ronnie, I do have a question for you about authenticity. How would you describe what that is? Authenticity is about being as honest as I know how to be, first with myself, right? Re- recognizing recognizing what's happening in my life now, the history I've lived through, trying to understand my own motivations, why I do things, and to be transparent about that. So I, yeah, so that trying to, as Jenny said, trying not to hide anymore. And, you know, not that I go around telling everybody everything about me the first moment I meet them, (laughs) but also also not living with this sense of there are some things that aren't worth knowing or are too shameful to talk about. And, and, and as Jenny said, hiding, not feeling like I can't really share who I am because authenticity means that I have something to offer and I'm being as honest as I can about what I'm offering and then you can make a decision about whether you want to hang not, hang out with me or not. Right? <laughs> yeah. And and Hi. and if I if I am if I'm not faking who I am in any way, and you decide to stick around, then I know I've got the opportunity for genuine connection, and you know, an, an honest, open, loving relationship. And that's that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear from both of you. How do we balance authenticity, holding on to our own truth, being the truth that we know we are, and connecting with others, yeah, deeply with other, others at the same time, even when they are not ready to hear our truth. Hmm. I think it takes um, a vulnerability to to share all of who you are. I, I understand what you're saying because I've been at different moments in the last 36 years of my marriage where I wasn't comfortable sharing all of who I was with my husband. There were parts of me that I was really, of my past, of what happened to me, that I was afraid to share with him as I was going through counseling, for example. And and I knew that at some point I had to take that risk. It's a risk um, to be that to be that open, to be that vulnerable. And fortunately for me, my husband, you know, and I, I would just sit down and say, I really, I really need to talk with you about something and I need you to be present with me. And so what I, what I told him is I, I need for us to sit face to face and I need you to hold my hand 
Because when we have that physical connection, when we are making a very purposeful effort to share, it's really important that that person understand that that loves us, that I'm taking a huge risk here. This, it's, this, is, this is scary for me to do this, to be this vulnerable. And fortunately for me, most of the time he has been a very receptive partner. Um, <clears throat> I think at times it's hard to always hear what the other person is saying or receive that message. And really the times that, that, that we have felt that tension have been times when we weren't giving each other the full attention. Um, trying to talk in the car when you're driving in the car is probably not the best place (laughs) to have those conversations (laughs) when you're distracted by, you know, driving and, you know, got to turn here, where are we going, you know? Um, So setting the time aside for really purposeful um, sharing uh, that is, is very important to create that space. And, so I would say that the the epic failures we have, <laughs> we've had in conversations have been when we were distracted, when we were not fully present with each other. And, and we learned from that, <laughs> fortunately, and, um, and, and decided that, okay, if we're going to talk about something really deep, then it's going to have to be that we create the space and, and we shut everything out and we say, okay, I need you to hear me. Um, and those have been the most meaningful conversations where we really reach each other. I would say, I would say for me, I mean, I'm thinking about times as in more recently in, in my, my own healing journey, say the last 10 years or so, I've started to explore and in um, particularly spiritually in a number of ways and read some books and, and seek experiences that I knew my husband was not going to want to join me in. Mm-hmm. But just framing, like when I have a conversation with him about what I'm doing or the experiences I've had or what I'm thinking about, I frame it as, I would just like to share this with you. And I sort of joked about it I've, 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 with him. I've said, I just want you to hear me. Like You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to do these things with me. I just want to be able to share with you what I'm doing, what I'm experiencing, and what I'm thinking. And so we, we've joked about it in a number of different ways. I, I, you know, I've said to him, I said, I, I truly appreciate that you hear whatever I have to say, and you never once said you're crazy. You know, right. <laughs> uh, or he, he, but and he still will continue to do or believe, you know, you know, whatever he wants to, but he's he's open to hearing what I want to share with him non-judgmentally. He may have his own feelings of, well, that's great for you. I'm not really, that's, that's fine. Go you. Good luck with that. You do that. Uh, but, he doesn't, so he, but he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't feel threatened that he doesn't share the same beliefs or experiences with me necessarily all the time. And he doesn't, you know, make me feel shamed or judged in any way for being different from him. And that's, that's, uh, I think, another kind of vulnerability. Yes. You know, to be able to say, I just want you to hear what's going on with me and just, just hold it. To be a part know? of it. Yeah. So, right. So to witness it. Yeah. So you know so who I am. Exactly. Exactly. What is your idea of spirituality? I probably read that in your book or on your website. You both wrote, in telling our story, we also share about the spiritual dimension of our healing journey. We believe 
that we come to this earth over multiple lifetimes to learn and grow. So that caught my attention. That's why I have you in the very beginning of our conversation. I wanted to talk about that. So how did you come to this understanding? I think through exploring. Uh, I think, you know, I certainly we were brought up Catholic and and I still do attend church because I do believe in the power of prayer with, with a group of people and sending up intentions of love um, and healing, you know, intercessions for others. So I, so I definitely still believe that. And, but, but there's, you know, I went to healing services as we talked about in the book. I, I, we, we were looking for deeper levels of healing, which is what brought me to go to Reiki healing. And, you know, and it's just continued to our intuition, our higher self, you know, the divine God, however you, in, in, you know, in interpret um, a higher presence, uh, the creator, I believe guides us, you know, and so we, I've certainly been to Akashic, you know, readings and soul guide, you know, uh, readings. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting when you, when you go to different, whether it's someone who's intuitive, who's using tarot cards, um, to tell you about your your who you are, your past, uh, <clears throat> or or meditation, or trans life, past life regressions. However, you look at it, when you get multiple multiple sources telling you about the same past life and the same experiences that are influencing your current life, right. it makes you wonder. Mm, <laughs> for sure. You sit up and, okay, they're all going back to the same time frame, the same state of Colorado, the same the same scenario that I was a writer. And you know, and and that my father found my writings and 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 some of my writings depicted him in a very negative controlling way, so he burned everything I owned. You know, so I mean, when you get that from multiple sources, it makes you, you know, how can that be coincidence? You know, in my mind, how could that possibly be coincidence? And so to me, it it, it certainly makes sense coming back, whether, you know, multiple times to, to grow in love. The, the whole, my, you know, my, my belief in every fiber of my being is that we are here to grow in love. And you can see we're all we're all on that path. Some of us maybe aren't very aware of that path. Yes. <laughs> and, and, we all have like that. and you just say, bless you, <laughs> you know, and and you go do you and I, I will I will continue trying to love and accept you and allow you to be who you are, but you're just gonna go allow and be who you are away from me. <laughs> you know? Right. So, right. Um, yeah. And that's and that's 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 part of loving is recognizing that we're all on different paths. We're all following our own calling, our own soul life plan, and we're all evolving. We're all growing. Hopefully that's the plan. And, and really, you know, these, these people that we look to as our prophets are, you know, self-actualized people are people who have really, really learned the true meaning of, of loving and serving. And, and to me, that's what, that's how it's all tied together about what spirituality is. To me, it's not so much about, um, rules or judging. It's about, it's about growing in, in loving and serving. Wow. One of the things that, (laughs) yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say one of the things that really cemented for me too, um, 
I've always found the idea of reincarnation intriguing. And when a couple of things sort of cemented that for me in, in the last couple of decades, I guess, one was encountering Brian Weiss's work and the number of books he wrote about how he stumbled upon past lives using hypnosis and psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And the stories are just really very interesting and compelling. But also, I'm a person with a very strong sense of social justice, which is one of the reasons I was probably drawn to be a sociologist. And I just, I, I've always, I felt guilty as a, as a person throughout my life, looking at the privileges and the benefits that I enjoy living in the United States, for example, being born and raised in the United States, being, um, a white person, right? Or a person who identifies as white or is called white. Uh, and I, and I've always felt bad for the suffering around the world and how it's so difficult to eradicate it. And, and anyhow, all these things sort of come together for me over the course of my lifetime to like, well, if we're coming here in multiple different circumstances, we come as various, um, you know, social groups in different parts of the world in different historical timeframes. And we learn from all of those different positions, locations, opportunities, disadvantages, struggles that um, we see around us in the world. That appealed to my sense of social justice, that we're all sort of, we're all here to experience it all. And that there's something to be learned from all of it. Even if even if it's a even if it's a life of peace and comfort, as well, then how do I how do I live that way with grace and not in a with a greedy sense of, well, I deserve this and I deserve more even? Um, how do we develop compassion for others who may not be living as comfortably as we are and and so on? So um, yeah. And how do we help those people? Right. You know, I think we witness it, but we're also called to to help yeah. in, in whatever capacity we can. Right. Make and I, I think that that's that's part of that living from a place, a mission of love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It very much resonates true to me. This is something that I have been answers that I have been seeking for my entire life. Why do we suffer? Why do we have to go through the the suffering, the pain that we go through here since I was very young, because I grew up in a dysfunctional family as well with a lot of abuse. I wanted to find that answer. (laughs) And now it went back to, of course, I did a lot of uh, healing work and spirituality in a sense of studying everything, a lot of spiritual practices to come to exactly that understanding of love that you speak of, both of you. Uh, Jenny, when you said uh, the mission, we are on the mission of love. So that's it. And then Ronnie, you just said that beautifully again. We are here to grow in love. Um, It always goes back to that. But then there's always this middle ground in a sense of the day-to-day living moments and the things that we experience that seem to contradict that. Not perhaps for ourselves internally, but then in the outside world. So you see people that children suffering. They're born in, like my case, and in your case, we are suffering from the get-go. And then we're just wondering what is happening here. So the only answer that makes sense now to me is exactly that. Reincarnation, this mind continuation, and karma. 
it, it goes back to karma. But then the, the, the question again is, how did karma start? <laughs> What's the beginning of that? Like, what did we do wrong just by existing? We made a mistake <laughs> and then that was already, mm. it created the karmic uh, cycle. Yeah, I would love you, for you to comment on that. I, I, I believe karma is really about learning and it's it's i don't i don't think of karma as a punishment so for example one of one of my psychic um readings i had with with um a a reader who who was using our soul guides to give me information um talked about our parents that that our parents had had created some some serious karma in this lifetime in in how they treated me and and that made me incredibly sad um, I, I knew they, and in some levels, what they did, they did behind closed doors. They, they were hiding from, from, you know, from, from other people. Um, so, so on some level, they knew that what they were doing was wrong. And it doesn't give me any joy at all that they have created some serious karma for themselves. So, but I think really what karma is, is this is a serious lesson that needs to be addressed, that needs to be learned. And therefore, it will take much more effort on that soul's part to to make up for that. And I think that it's just like, you know, when we're little kids, you know, if it when we when we do something that um that we that we realize is wrong. And we and that innocence, you you want to make it right. You know, when, when you are, when you're coming from a place of love, you want to make it right. And I really think that's what karma is. It's the soul, you know, when we're, when we're, when we're stuck in our body and our illusion, uh, you know, the ego and our, you know, we're, we are, we can get caught up in, in, in the play that we're, that we're living out, but this isn't all of who we are. Um, and so I think that when we get to the other side and we have our review of our life, we realize, wow, as a soul, gosh, I really, really should have done this better. I, I, you know, I, I, I made, I made some, I made some poor choices there, really poor choices. Uh, and, and so I think that when the, the veil is lifted, right, the denial is gone, that, that the soul, the soul is a spark of the divine. We are pure love. We came from pure love. We are pure love. And and I think that when we realize, when we have that life review, we're the ones that are are saying, okay, I, I gotta do something serious to to make this right. And I and then that's how I think of karma. I mean, it's it's and that's that's how I was so able to to quickly forgive my sister when we were younger and, and she was unkind to me or hurt me. If she came back and said she was sorry, I was, who, who doesn't, you know, just like a, a, your, your mother with a child, your child does something that, that maybe is hurtful or, or whatever. And they come back and they, they say, I'm sorry. I mean, who doesn't melt instantly and say, I forgive you. I love you. Let, let's make this, let's make this better. Let's make better choices. Um, and, and, and that, I think that's how we are with each other, you know, whether, we're close sisters and we love each other and we're trying to heal and, 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 and grow our, our relationship or, or whether it's somebody who's been really ugly to us, you know, um, 
or or somebody on you know road rage, somebody in a car <laughs> that was really aggressive and drove in a really reckless way and could have caused us serious harm or road, you know ran us off the road. I mean, yes, in the moment I'm angry, of course, but but after after a while I'm like, okay, you're a human being and you you are a spark of the divine and right. and something's going on with you yeah. for you to be driving this way or doing yeah. this, you know and and it, it's and really that's where karma is recognizing we are all connected. And what we do to each other, we are actually doing to ourselves. Yeah. Yes. That's a powerful statement, right? And one that's very true to me. It's what we yeah. do to one another, we are doing to ourselves. Yes. I was just going to add that that one of the things that um that I that I've come to think about is in, in those similar kinds of situations, there's somebody that's annoying me or I think they're doing the wrong thing. Um, is to just remember that, as Jenny said, if we're a spark from, of the divine, that means we are, you know, I, I like the phrase, a bucket full of God, right? We all came from the same place. And if we're all, if we're all taking this, this, this trajectory of learning over multiple lifetimes, we're coming here with all these lessons that we're, that we're working on, you know, Anybody else, when they're behaving in, in a way that, that I think is unacceptable, that's me. I've done that. Somewhere. Right. Somewhere yes. along the way, yeah. I've done that. That that literally is me. It's not just that we're connected. It's like the, that there's um, there's a universality to what we are all trying to do, meant to do, what our highest calling is, that there there really is so little that divides us. It's the, it's the human form and the myth of individuality that, that makes us think we're different from everyone else. Well, and as Dr. Wayne Dyer said, I am that. <laughs> and when you, when you look at something, whether you love it or whether you don't love it and you, and you remember and you, that you see in someone else and you say, I am that, I am that we, we, we really are. Yeah. Gosh, I'm like pausing here because <laughs> when we think about, the war happening now, I mean, there's so many things happening that we are not aware of. I don't watch TV, but of course, some people, they talk to me about it. The war between Ukraine and Russia oh, and all the atrocities yeah. and all oh, that. Gosh. Isn't it like, uh, it's a tough one to say, I am that too. <laughs> yeah. The violence. Huh. Yeah, that's something that the mind cannot comprehend. The logic mind, it can't really follow that idea, but at a soulful life, that spiritual, I love to say that um, the mountain view from the top of the mountain, that the large perspective shows exactly that. Whatever's happening here, it's part of us. It's us. It, it cannot be mm-hmm. different because we are connected to everything. There's no separation between this, what's happening now, and the projections. Everything is it's coming from the same source. There's something you said, I believe it was Ronnie who said that, about life review. That caught my attention because for me, my, the experiences I have had with um, healing, I think it was a psychedelic experience. Not, it was an involuntary one. I was in, at a meditation center in France, and then they gave me a piece of cake that had some of, I think, psilocybin or something in there. And then I remember seeing almost like I had died and lost the body. And I was seeing every, all the things I had done to other people in my family, how unkind it was to some people. Everything just, it was like this life review that you spoke of. So it doesn't really take transcending, kind of leaving the body. We can experience that. And if we are sensitive enough, we can experience that life review right here, right now. 
It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sensitive to that point, but I know that not all the time. But yeah, I just wanted to make that comment because that I have I have had that experience of almost like feeling like I was already outside of the body, dead, and seeing everything that I had done. So I want to mention again the title of your book, Healing Begin With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond. An open question that I had for you, I still have for you, is I wanted to ask you earlier, but then we, we're just kind of flowing with this, which is wonderful. What is to be a family? Well, I mean, we certainly have conventional definitions of family. We have we have typically defined family by those that we are married to, biologically related to, or who we might choose to adopt, let's say. That's sort of been the traditional notion of family. To me, though, and of course our, our family, even notion of family socially has expanded as well. It's it's the people you choose to love and and to maintain a, a special closeness or connection to so you can you may be biologically related to them you may not be uh certainly having having a biological tie doesn't guarantee that you're going to have a close warm loving connection Mm -hmm. so you know i think of i mean i think for many of us we probably still start there but if if that family that we've been born into is a disappointment we certainly have a lot more freedom now to create a, a chosen family, people that are going to support us and nurture us and love us unconditionally in the way that we've you know, typically thought families ought to. That's a beautiful answer. Johnny, do you have um, another idea, another answer for that question, per se? I think really where you feel loved and supported and seen. Mm-hmm. And and that that's really that's really who your family is. And I I truly believe we have we have soul tribes that we come back with and we're meant to meet with in this in this this life and in each life. And those are the people that are here to love and support us. And you recognize them. You feel it when you're with them. Um that, that feeling of I feel like I've known you all my life, you know, and we, we've all met people like that. And and that connection is um, is just an, a, a recognition, I think, of that they're they're one of those people that are that are really part of our soul family. And, yeah, and it's easy to love them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so much yeah, it's easier. easy to love them. It's easy to understand <laughs> yeah. them. They understand you, yes. and and you and you feel loved and supported and seen and accepted for who you are. And that's that's really important for all of us. Wow, it's uh, amazing how. He always goes back to love. When I ask the question, I have asked so many times, what's the purpose of life? It's always to serve in the sense of connecting, deeply connecting with other human beings, which has to do with love, deep connections. And then my last question, it's usually about uh, experiences that you wish for everyone to have. And then the question again, love. The first component, the first item, it's always love. Always love. Mm-hmm. That's an universal truth, right? I know, I think, Ronnie, you spoke about that with Johnny, about universal truth that we all share. And mm-hmm. then yeah. we think, what else is to do here? And it is the work of healing, isn't it? That brings us to that awareness that life is love, that everything is about love. 
So with that in mind, I wanted to ask you another question about your book. So healing, you start with that word, the, the title, Healing Begins With Us. Well, I'd love for the audience to know a little bit of the story, the overarching of the story. And also, what is one message that you wish everyone to take from the book and to live by besides love? Gosh, is there something else besides love? Right, right. Oh, well, so Jenny and I grew up in a home with addiction, abuse, and mental illness. And we, like most families with that, with that, uh, with those dynamics in it, it generated other, other problems within the family that are also very predictable, like mm-hmm. denying that there's anything wrong with the family. So you tell yourself this story that everything's wonderful. You're happy. We're close. We're loving, et cetera. That we were isolated from each other. We were um, abusive to each other. And we were, as siblings, not just experiencing abuse from our parents. And we were pigeonholed into these roles that, um, and I was the hero of the family as the oldest. My job was to make the family look good, to achieve as much as possible so that if anybody happened to notice there was anything wrong with our family, they could go, oh, there's nothing wrong with us. Look at this great kid. And then Jenny's job as the scapegoat was to, uh, all, all the psychic garbage of the family was dumped on her. So she was the problem. Um, therapists would have called her the identified patient. And, you know, our parents would say things like, well, if she just get her act together, everything would be fine here. And so we, we stayed in those roles. Those roles really di- put a big divide between us. Other dynamics in the family, particularly my mother, the way she tried, the way she communicated with us, tried to turn us against each other. So we had we had a lot to overcome getting out of that. And it was really when we got married, we both got married in our early 20s and started having children within a few years. And it was becoming parents and trying to figure out how to be a good mom and wanting desperately to be good mothers, both of us. Mm-hmm. That was when we started reaching out to each other and talking to each other for the first time in a long time. And that caused us to look backwards, right? Because when you're parenting, there may be some things from your childhood you'd like to reproduce if they were positive and you enjoy them. And there are others that you don't want to um, continue. And so it was those conversations that we first started to just tiptoe into our history. And the the message that we the reason we wrote this book is not that there's, there aren't enough good books out there about people telling their stories of healing and recovery and so on, is that we really, really benefited from being able to reconnect. Because you can talk to a therapist, you can talk to a good partner, you can talk to friends. But my sister, Jenny, was able to validate me in a way nobody else could. Because I had some memories that were so bad, I thought for sure... I must have misconstrued them somewhere along the way. And I remember on one particular occasion, I shared I shared one with her and I said, there must have been something else going on. I can't believe that I would have been beaten for this particular thing that happened. And she said, oh no, I remember that. That's exactly how it went down. And it was just, we both said many times that having each other in that way to validate each other dramatically accelerated our healing process as individuals. I would not be the person I am today 
without my sister as my healing partner. And that's speaking of deep connections, right? Johnny, do you want to add? Yeah, and I, I would say that, you know, for us, I think writing this book together was was kind of the final not that not that you're ever done growing in love, but it 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 was us being able to say to to each other and and to really the world is that this is what we experienced, this is what it felt like, and we want so much to help others to heal, other siblings to reach out to each other and 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 really embrace who they are, where they came from and and each other in in helping in their healing their healing journey. Um, it, we just can't, we just can't say enough how our healing, our relationship as siblings just transformed our lives and made our healing process so much more powerful and far reaching. Yeah. And it was, it was really, really Ronnie being, being open to seeing the pain that I was experiencing and saying, being vulnerable, being humble and saying, how can, how can I help, help you? How can I help with this? And, and that's what opened the door for us to start sharing with each other more honestly and loving each other and seeing each other with new eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I've read your book and um, listening to you now, it kind of uh, carries a lot more power in a way. It's almost like this energetic resonance. So what comes to me, as I, I think I mentioned uh, that off record and before to you, that my husband has the same situation happening in his family. And he has the opportunity to talk to his sister and reconnect with her. But it's not happening. And I have tried myself even, tried to kind of reconnect them. But then there is always a, a point where they stop talking to each other again for no reason. And they just kind of cut communication and then they are try again. <laughs> so in this case, what do you, coming from your experience and where you are now, what would you suggest in a case like this? I know my husband and his family is not the only one, obviously not we know, in my case too, but I have done that work of reaching out to everybody. It's a different story per se. But in his case, what would you suggest? Because I have... I'm trying myself kind of to go in and reconnect them. But in your case, you felt you made that decision to reconnect with one another. So they are not doing that. Right. What else is there to do? Well, Larry, I guess the way that we envision this working is if they can hear something of a story like ours, and I know not everybody's going to want to sit down and read the book. We did create an audio version so that people could access it more more easily. But if they can hear a, some, some, a piece of a story like ours, our vision was that, you know, because part of what we try to say in the book is it's not your fault. If you don't have a good relationship with your sibling and you grew up with any part of the dysfunction that we had in our household, it is not your fault. You probably have a lot of things you blame each other for. But the, but the reason that you don't get along ultimately is not your fault. It's rooted in what your parents did as you were growing up. And so our hope was that somebody would hear part of our story and think, oh, my gosh, it's not our fault. Let me try to reach out to my sibling. Let me try to say, look, I heard, I heard this story or I 
read a piece of this this you know this this thing about these two siblings who talked about how they had a family like ours and and how you know how their parents turned them against each other they didn't even realize it until they were you know late 20s early 30s it sounds mm-hmm. silly to somebody who hasn't lived through it but it's that's the way denial works and I mean, we it, there's so many dynamics associated, dysfunctional dynamics associated with that, and we try to lay that out in the book about how all these things work and how they come together to create this this terrible outcome. But if if people could, it, because when the relationship is bad, it's so easy to blame, right? To find fault, and if we wanted to take that that piece away, say, what if you could start from a place of, what if it's not our fault that we don't get along? What if it's about what happened to us and not that there is something flawed, you know, innately wrong in us? What if, what if it's, what if it's, it's basically brainwashing from, from toddler on, you know, before you had a chance, before your identity was even formed? What if you can look at it through that lens and realize you're both victims of intergenerational trauma and, and that, you know, you can recreate, you can heal the relationship that you have and create the relationship that you want to have. But it takes, it takes looking at your family of origin, honestly. It takes looking at the roles that you were forced to play in that dysfunctional family and then trying to look at each other with new eyes, trying to, trying to be vulnerable with each other taking that risk to trust each other and say, look, when you say this to me, it hurts. It makes me feel like this. Um, and that, and that takes risk and that takes being vulnerable mm-hmm. and humble on both sides to realize that you both are probably doing things mm-hmm. that are contributing to the unhealthy dynamics in the relationship. And, and you both need to change your patterns of behavior with each other. Right. But it's it's doable. It and, takes work. And and what you referred to earlier, Valeria, about you know, kind of that that life recall, noticing when you hurt someone, you know, it it is it is hard to because I because it was more often my doing something to hurt Jenny just because of our roles, right? I was more of a perpetrator than um, a victim. And I, you know, you have to be able to accept that. You have to be able to say. I did some things that were wrong. I did some things that hurt you. And to, and as you're doing that, it was hard for me because to own that, at least in the early day, early phases felt like that made me a bad person. And I think I'm a kind, loving, generous person at heart. And so, you know, having to reconcile that can be tough. But again, if you realize that, that, Yes, of course, the older we get, the more we are responsible for our own choices. But if, if these patterns were set into motion before you even had an awareness of having a, the option of a choice, then let's, then let's cut each other some slack. Let's give each other some grace and let's give each other credit for trying because you're going to, it's going to be imperfect. It takes time to develop new behaviors, but can we give each other the grace uh, and acknowledge that I can see you're trying? I can see that you're trying to treat me differently. It really sounds to me, us listening to you, of course, reading your story and my own experience, that it takes being open, right? Being able to recognize who we have been, what we have done, and 
kind of come to terms with those memories and letting them go. So it's the process of healing that starts with us, as you say, so true. We have to be open, willing to do that, to take the first step. But then there's another component that I have um, noticed that with my husband's family is that they were raised by a woman who was a person, the father, the mother, with narcissistic, I believe that the disorder was actually it's narcissistic disorder personality and not just narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have also heard that that can pass on to the children, that they can develop the disorder as well, or the traits, narcissistic traits, or even worse, psychopathic traits. So I have noticed that too and his family. The, those traits are there. So some of them are. So that would make it more challenging, right, Jenny and... Ronnie, in this case, for even my husband to, for them to come together because now they they are not even able to recognize what has happened. It will require extra sort of therapeutic intervention, right, for for the individual to, if there's a personality disorder that's in part of the mix. Those are very difficult to treat. Yeah, it can be difficult. Yeah, that does change things, that's for sure. See, I don't want to give up hope. <laughs> and I keep kind of um, motivating him to do this. And then he wrote his book, telling the story. And I'm, and I'm kind of going through the process of healing him first. <laughs> he gets stuck when it comes to communicating with them, with his brother and sister. Then that's where he, he, he cannot move forward because they are not well, open as well. Right. So that's the thing is that the other thing we try to make really clear in the book is that we don't ever think anybody should sign up for more abuse. So, no. if, so if you don't have a if you don't have a willing partner who wants to work on the relationship, I mean that's what we had. We both wanted to make it, even if we didn't know how to do that, and we heard each other as we were trying to figure out how to do that. We still agreed that that was a shared goal. And you might have a sibling who just doesn't. They're either too wounded, or you know, you mentioned you know they might have a some psychiatric or or psychological issues that are getting in the way. And so it's not, it is not always possible. We, we do have to acknowledge that. Yes. And, and that was, that was a situation in, in, in our family where we had to remove ourselves from contact with, with certain family members in order for us to heal because the, mm-hmm. the, the psychological verbal abuse never stopped. And so, you know, you cannot, I believe, heal a relationship like that if you are going back for more abuse how how can you how can you heal right if you are entering into that abusive relationship over and over again so sometimes you do have to step out of range and stay out of range and it's you know in order for healing reconciliation to occur it takes both parties recognizing that change needs to happen and both parties wanting change and healing to happen so we're almost at the end of the conversation now, and I want to mention the um, the book that I know we didn't. I think you didn't mention that before. That was actually written by uh, a podcast conversation recorded. Right, you have you recorded the conversations. Let me see. I have it here, mm-hmm. and then uh, that's why the book is um, outlined the way it is. You have different parts breaking through the denial. It's one of them. Then cutting contact. Then the hero and the scapegoat, a childhood relationship, then building our families, then finding healing, finding meaning, navigating your own healing journey. 
So all the steps, it's just you have done everything, going through the journey and then sharing. That's it's it's almost like um, I mean, you probably have heard the hero's journey, uh, Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's truly, truly beautiful to see human beings waking up to their own greatness and goodness and love and manifesting that because that's what we need to see more in this reality. So I want to thank you again. And I want to say that I love the, there's a section in the book that you call Clarifying Our Intentions. <laughs> I even put in here, mm-hmm. love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in the very end, there's so, so many notes that I've made here that I don't have enough time to go through the whole thing. I'll, I'll get a little bit kind of, um, I'll be all over the place now going back. But <laughs> I would love for you to read a passage in your book. Is there a passage? And if, if you have not chosen a passage, the clarifying our intentions section, that would be wonderful if you could read that too. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we will we'll go with clarifying our intentions. Ah, yes. Beautiful. <laughs> so before we begin our story, we want to make our intentions perfectly clear. We are not claiming that our parents and brother are or were completely horrible human beings. There were, of course, acts of kindness as well as self-sacrifice, particularly on the part of our parents as we grew up. We are not writing this book as some sort of revenge for the mistreatment that we endured. If that were the case, we would have written it 25 years ago when we were just breaking through the denial and our anger was sometimes red hot. Above all, we are not claiming that our parents did not love us. We know that they did but they represent one link in what has likely been a long chain of intergenerational abuse, meaning they suffered their own trauma. They may have done the best that they could, but they passed that trauma on to us. We have compassion for what they experienced, but we hold them accountable for their own choices. And even in the face of all that we share here, we still love them. We also want to be clear that we are sharing our view of our family as well as our experiences of living in it. We expect that our parents and our brother would remember or interpret some events differently. We tried very hard to tell our story without speaking for anyone else or sharing the stories of others. We have also removed all names of places and people from this book, except those of our husbands, to protect the privacy of other family members. We did this to make it perfectly clear that we are not sharing our experiences to shame or harm anyone. Despite all these precautions, we are very concerned about the potential for retaliation from our parents in telling our story. As the coming pages will show, our parents can be very vindictive. Their cruelty has astounded us. But we feel very strongly that telling our story will help others. And if we give in to fear, then we are giving our parents the power to silence us. And that we will no longer do. In speaking out, we are moving beyond the shame and stigma of growing up in an abusive, dysfunctional home to state clearly that we and people like us are neither broken or unworthy. One final note about this book. We do not see ourselves as victims. Neither of us want to live in the past. Therefore, this book is not an endless recounting of all the terrible things that were done to us. We do tell some stories, but only for the purposes of highlighting the dynamics generated by abuse, addiction, and mental illness, 
so that others might recognize some of their own story in ours. Our intention is to use our experience to bring awareness to things that often remain hidden and to give validation to those whose upbringing was similar to our own. Abusers rarely acknowledge the damage they have done, let alone apologize for it. That means survivors often struggle to make sense of what happened to them. We are here to say, we see you. We are you. We are telling our story to give a name to what so many people experience but don't fully understand and to invite them into the light where they can learn, heal, and create lives of joy. I mean, that's very emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I know a lot of times has been said that we have intentions, but, you know, sometimes People are not ready, but I do believe in the intentions of the heart. I think everyone's ready for that. Everyone, mm-hmm. all of us yes. human beings. So thank you so much. We appreciate you so much, Valeria. Valeria, thank you so much for having us on your show. Thank it's been you. An honor. Thank you for your presence. And uh, before we say goodbye for today, what is the best place to find more information about you and your book? Well, if folks go to our website, ronnieandjenny.com. So it's R-O-N-N-I and Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E.com. You can find a link to the book. There's a quiz there. You can, if you're wondering whether you're a survivor as well, as you're listening to this, you can take the quiz. You can find a link to our podcast and just find out generally what we're up to. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile as well. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Ronnie and Jenny. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver and their work, please visit heartandsoulsisters.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.